Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening, and welcome to Tri-State at the Plate. I'm your host, Andy Burdick, joined today by the Ginger Prince of Baseball himself, Bob Finkbeiner. Bob, how are you today? I am fantastic tonight. Yeah, it's uh, it's a night recording. We've had a couple of those in a row now. That is true. I'm used to waking up super early on the weekends and having my early morning coffee and recording on those. So it's a little weird to be doing this in the under the cover of night. I feel like uh, like a vampire or something. We were very flexible. Kind of considered like a morning game and day games. <laughs> that that night, is night games. Sorry, night games. That's kind of what it is. Yeah, it's like when they installed lights on Wrigley. Right. Just throwing everything off a little bit. But that's okay, because we're here to record at any hour of the day or night for our faithful listeners. We're give, here for you. Give you something to get through that morning commute, just a little bit of baseball conversation for everybody. So we're going to be talking about the Pirates today. We're going to be talking about the Indians. We'll take a quick look at the Seawolves. But before we get into that, Bob, I know we have a topic that's near and dear to your heart because it is about pitching. And anything related to pitching, I know, kind of gets you, uh, gets you uh, your interest peaked. So, sad, yes. <laughs> so what do you uh, what do you have for us today with our topic of the day? Well, as most baseball fans saw recently, and I'm sure you saw too, and anyone that has this person on their fantasy baseball team is very happy. What happened recently with um, Max Scherzer and his pitching performance? Oh man, that twenty strikeout game. He was... <laughs> Yes. Twenty strikeouts and no walks. What but a gem. Little did we know until this tonight. Thanks to uh, Eddie Matz and the ESPN senior writer, sent out a tweet after Michael Conforto homered off Max tonight. He has now allowed 30, yes, I said 30 home runs since the All Star break of last season, or 30% more than the next closest pitcher. That's crazy to me. That's absolutely crazy to me that that is a like a true thing. I, I feel like, I don't know, and I don't subscribe to the play index, but I feel like maybe now it's time to subscribe to the play <laughs> index because I need to be able to, to search these things quickly and efficiently. But that, like, I, I just feel like that can't be right. How? Like, Max That's, Scherzer's ERA last year was like, what, like two and a half or oh, something like that? Low. I know that, yeah. I mean, it, was, it wasn't over three. So, I mean, it was a sub three ERA that he had last year. And... Like, I just, I don't get, how can that be a thing? How can Max Scherzer have given up more, 30, was it 30% more, you said? 30% more, yes. That, like, that's so crazy to me. I'm looking at his splits right right now, actually. So I have his 2015 splits up, and the second half of last year, he gave up 17 home runs. And a, wow, and a 436 slugging. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He's serving up some taters there. So, oh wow, that's that's kind of crazy. So 17 home runs uh in the second half last year. And so if we're taking a look at this season, he's served up 11 home runs. Man. And 12, counting tonight. Well, yeah, and 12 tonight. That's crazy. Red, that is crazy. Yes. I feel like you just turned my whole world upside down. And I'm not even like, I'm not invested in Max Scherzer at all. I just, I guess I've always thought of him as a really, really good, you know, like an elite pitcher. Well, how about this? You know, so far, prior to tonight's game, he had thrown 52 innings pitched, allowed 46 hits. So under hip rating, that's very, very good. Of the 46 hits, though, 
11, now 12, or I guess 47 hits now, are home runs. That's, wow, that's wild. I wonder, like, what, I, now I'm kind of curious. After we're done recording, I'm going to go uh, fiddle around on fan graphs and probably Brooks Baseball a little bit and see. Uh, which, by the way, are two, are two excellent resources if you like digging into the yes. statistics a little bit more. Brooks Baseball, just, I get lost. It's a rabbit hole. Hours of my life just gone. <laughs> just and, and it'll just be, like, randomly searching things, and I'll be like, ooh, that's interesting, and just keep going. Two hours of my life's gone before I know it. But I, I kind of want to go on fan graphs and Brooks Baseball now and just mess around with Max Scherzer's pitching profile and stats. Like, what what is going on that you're one of the most elite pitchers in baseball and you're giving up all of these home runs i don't like what what could it be like i i honestly i'm kind of at a loss like what could it be that you couldn't be so elite yet giving up serving up so many home runs i i, I don't know what it is red as you dig through this hole that you're about to embark on we should also try to find out is it off all fastballs is it off a you know some kind of a secondary you know, well, that's, pitch. that's what I'm curious about. Like what, man, what could that be? Like you have, oh, wow. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to dig around and we're going to have to talk about this the next time we record though, because now my curiosity is, uh, my curiosity's peaked. So, uh, anything else we want to talk about with Max Scherzer before we move on to the pirates? Uh, he's still pretty good. Yeah. I mean, he's all right. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. He's all right. I know, actually, I have him on one of my fantasy teams, so I am kind of keeping a closer eye on him um, this year than I would say in years previous. But, uh, you know, like I know he's he's not having like a great start to his season. He has, I think he has an ERA over four um, at this point in the year, and his FIP's kind of matching up with it. So statistically speaking, it sounds like what is going on is kind of what you would be expected with the way that he's pitching, but... I'm really shocked by that amount of home runs and particularly at how many more it is relative to the rest of the league. Right. Shocking. Shocking. <laughs> this is breaking news. So uh, you ready to talk about the pirates? Sure. There's some, some speaking of breaking news. There is some huge breaking news with Pittsburgh today. And I will say one of the, one of the major downfalls of my profession is that throughout the course of the day, I don't have an opportunity to, stay up to date with the things that happen throughout the course of the day. Um, so, you know, I'm a teacher. I, I just like, I don't have access to my cell phone or a computer during the day because I'm, you know, like teaching. So I kind of find these things out throughout like the course of the day where someone on their planning will hear something and then they'll tell me. And today I was kind of taken off guard when someone told me, Hey, check out the Cervelli thing. And I thought, well, what, like, did he get hurt? Like, what's going, did he fall down the stairs and break a leg? What's going on with Francisco Cervelli? So I was pleasantly surprised to find out that the Pittsburgh Pirates and Francisco Cervelli have uh, come to an agreement on a three-year extension where Cervelli's going to be remaining a Pittsburgh Pirate. And they announced this today as a three-year, I think, $31 million extension, if I'm doing my math correct here, because I didn't write the total. Yeah, so three years, $31 million. Now, just on its face, Red, what's your initial thought about this Francisco Cervelli extension? Uh, I was surprised, uh, given the debate centering around him earlier in the season. Um, I'm also curious for your thoughts, knowing that the organization has two highly regarded catching prospects 
on their way near term. So, so how does yeah. that change the you know catching pitcher in the Pittsburgh? And that's the that's the first place that my that my mind went to with this. Now, before I get to this, there's just a couple things I want to bring up, and then I'll get to Elias Diaz and, and Reese McGuire in a minute. Um, so the Cervelli deal, the it's a three-year deal, nine million, ten point five million, and eleven point five million. Definitely shocking, like you said. I I was really taken off guard by that because like the middle of the season, like you, it's not like a time where Pittsburgh is traditionally announced like new contract extensions. So it, it totally caught me off guard. I thought one of the cool things about this announcement and one of the things that I found somewhat endearing and, and kind of made me really fall in love with this team again was that Francisco Cervelli stated that he was happy in Pittsburgh and that was a major factor in his decision to sign this extension. Now listen to this quote, because this is what the Pittsburgh Tribune uh, quoted Francisco Cervelli as saying uh, in regards to his deal. So his exact words were, I want to thank the Pirates organization for believing in me. Thanks to my teammates. I'm proud to call you guys brothers. And last but not least to the fans, you guys keep me going every night. That's Amore. Pittsburgh is a city with a lot of love. When I arrived here, people didn't know who I was, but it didn't take long for me to feel the love and respect that the people of Pittsburgh have. That's why I'm coming back. Thank you for not giving up on me. I promise that I will never give up on this team. I got to say, like it, that made me a little teary-eyed reading that. <laughs> that, was, that was beautiful. That was a work of art that should hang up on the wall in the Pittsburgh clubhouse to try and attract more free agents to come to Pittsburgh or more players to re-up their contracts. What a what an amazing negotiating tool Neil Huntington now has with that simple quote. I think it's great. I love the culture that Pittsburgh is building under the Neil Huntington regime. Now, I don't know, like, I, as an outside person, so as someone who, you know, you're an Indians fan, you like the Pirates, but you, you're probably like me with the Indians. You don't, if you're watching the other team every night, you don't necessarily have a chance to watch the Pirates. Correct. So as someone who, you know, follows the Pirates, likes the Pirates, but doesn't have like a real in-depth look at the team, kind of like someone who would be watching the Pirates every night. How do you feel about that Francisco Cervelli quote there? I think it was perfection. It was, it was perfect, though. I mean, you thank the organization, thank the fans. Yes, you were unheralded, probably from maybe people nameless, don't know who this guy is, performed very well. And the silver lining, all of it is not mentioned you got your good paycheck too. That's exactly right. You got paid. Yes. That's part of the bit that, that really surprised me because you saw that with Russell Martin, uh, you know, before Cervelli came into town, which was Pittsburgh kind of balked at, we're not going to pay an aging catcher. <laughs> so that kind of caught me off guard too when I factored that in there, that they re-upped Cervelli a few years after letting Russell Martin walk. And it's interesting too, I might add, that Cervelli, until recently, has always had a hard time staying healthy. Yeah. Which, you know, if you've read Travis Sawchick's Big Data Baseball, that is something that I keep an eye on with Pittsburgh because a huge part of Pittsburgh's revamping of the, the front office under Neil Huntington has also been trying to find that edge. And one of those edges that they've really looked intensely at is players' health and... Yep. monitoring players' health and figuring out ways to uh, keep them on the field so that they aren't having to undergo all these issues off the field. And 
that's kind of interesting that you see Cervelli coming to Pittsburgh and suddenly he's not hitting the shelf. So yeah, that's definitely, that's a very good point, Bob. Uh, something, something worth noting with Cervelli is his, his recent string of good health. Now on to the point about Elias Diaz and Reese McGuire, because Pittsburgh drafted, I think it was the Austin Meadows draft. So they drafted Austin Meadows and Reese McGuire. Uh, Reese McGuire was the, I believe Reese McGuire was the supplemental pick that draft. Uh, I, think right. I think he was he was the supplemental for losing Mark Appel, I think. I so, yeah. so Reese McGuire was kind of drafted as like the prep catcher who is going to be the future backstop in Pittsburgh. He has all the intangibles that the club likes as far as being able to, uh, you know, frame pitches and, and call a game and um, good defense behind the plate. Elias Diaz has already made it up to AAA. Well, I shouldn't say already because he's I think he's 25 or 26, but he's he's up in AAA and he was kind of it it almost felt like he was anointed as the next backstop in Pittsburgh and when the Pirates didn't really this winter look to extend, you know, Cervelli past this season, I think the general thought was, well that's because you have Elias Diaz who should be ready to kind of step into that role next year. And then came that elbow soreness that Diaz experienced in spring training. And I think that was the real catalyst for this Francisco Cervelli deal at this point. This Cervelli deal really came out of the blue, by the way. I didn't I hadn't heard any whisperings about it, hadn't seen anything on Twitter about it, nothing in print. I had you seen anything about it prior to this? No, I was shocked by it actually. Like it totally it totally caught me off guard. I described it uh before we started recording as like when you're not expecting a great Christmas gift, you know, like you're, you're that kid and you're like, ah, Christmas probably not going to be that great this year. How are we going to top the Nintendo I got last year? <laughs> and then suddenly there's that amazing Christmas gift that you want underneath the tree and it's Francisco Cervelli. So I, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of mixed emotions with this. I, I feel great that we have Cervelli locked up through three years. I think three years is a great contract, a, a great, an appropriate length contract for a catcher. Um, specifically one who's, you know, a little older, like, like Cervelli. Um, it's, you know, not breaking the bank for Pittsburgh. It's certainly more than Pittsburgh has ponied up to pay a catcher since, I don't know, like Jason Kendall. Is that like the last time that Pittsburgh had a, you know, a catcher, catcher on their roster that soaked up 10% of their payroll? Yeah. Um, you know, and and Francisco Cervelli has those same intangibles that that Pittsburgh likes uh, in their catchers, which is he's one of the league's best pitch framers. Uh, he's a good defensive catcher, and by all accounts, he seems like he's a great clubhouse guy. I mean, the fans certainly respond well to him. Um, the offense is a bonus too. Yeah. So I and that's the other thing. Since he's come to Pittsburgh and he's really taken over as a full-time player. I mean, you can go find the stats on ESPN, but his uh, on-base percentage is among the best in the league at catchers. Uh, his batting average is, is great. He's racking up hits. You know, like, you can look at his offensive stats, and, and he's right up there with, you know, the best catchers in the league offensively. So, you know, three years for a 30-year-old catcher, I don't think that's unreasonable. Thirty-one million is certainly for most teams not an unreasonable price to pay for a, you know, an, an all-star caliber backstop who has those real intangibles that that you like and is supposedly a good clubhouse guy and a good game caller and a good pitch framer. So I, I feel pretty happy with this deal overall. Very surprised that it got done. 
but I think we can really look at Elias Diaz's elbow and basically thank Diaz's elbow for falling apart this spring for us bringing <laughs> Cervelli back for the next three years. Like, it's kind of terrible that his elbow's hurt, but I I don't think Pittsburgh gets this deal done if if Diaz is healthy down in AAA. Any other thoughts on that, Bob? Before we move on. No, it's safe to say that Diaz's elbow provided Cervelli with some leverage. <laughs> yes. Yes, it did. Okay, so uh, moving on. The Pirates... So since the last time we've talked, the Pirates finished uh, a series with the Reds, and it was finished in quite exciting fashion. I don't know if you happened to see that game or uh, <laughs> any of the highlights of that game. I read about it. There were six hit batsmen. There were five home runs. There were four ejections. Four Pirates and two Reds were hit by pitches. Uh, and this plunk fest between Cincinnati and Pittsburgh just continues to go on. This goes back to the uh, Aroldis Chapman uh, hitting people era. So <laughs> the uh, the last time that uh, Chapman and Andrew McCutcheon squared off, Chapman sent a very clear message uh, in his upper shoulder with a hundred mile an hour fastball. And really that kind of, I think uh, lifted the beanball war between Cincinnati and Pittsburgh to whole new levels. Um, but over the last season, the Reds have hit 43 pirates batters. They've hit 10 this season. The pirates have responded by hitting 41 Reds batters five this season. Um, over that period of time, it's the most hit batsmen <laughs> in major league baseball over that span. Like it's, it's kind of ridiculous. There's not a whole lot of love lost between these two teams. I don't know. Does, and like, do you see this with Cleveland? Does, does Cleveland have this kind of like, I don't know, back and forth with beanball wars with, with other teams? Uh, it's funny. You mentioned that not to this ex extent or degree, but I recall this had to have been about 2011. I want to say, and Carrasco was back and forth in the rotation, and they were playing the Kansas City Royals at home, and he happened to hit Billy Butler twice in the same game. And the Royals at the time took great offense to this occurring, because Butler at the time was also probably their best hitter. And they fired back, and I forget who they hit in that game also, someone else for Cleveland, Then it carried over into the next game the following day. But it sort of, you know, kind of quieted down since then, but that's the most I can see anything sort of similar occurring with Cleveland in the last few years, but nothing to this degree. This is just, this just nuts. Yeah. It's, and here's part of the problem. And I recognize, I recognize that that part of the problem is that Pittsburgh likes to pitch inside. They unabashedly will pitch inside. That's not something that, that they're shy about. The thing that makes me feel bad is, because the pitchers try and dominate that inner half of the plate and they hit so many guys, it gets our guys hit back. Right. And, you know, that that can go back and forth a couple times before benches get warned and, and you have to kind of put a stop to it. And you've seen, like, jeez, that <laughs> 43 batters <laughs> over the last four seasons. You've hit 10 already this season. Like, that's that's a lot. And when Marte got hit, the other day, it was like the seventh or eighth time he'd been hit this season. Uh, I forget who was interviewing him. It might have been Travis Sawchick, but someone was interviewing Marte. And Marte came out and said, I'm being hit so much that it's affecting my at-bats. It's affecting the way I stand in the box. It's affecting the way that I 
swing and, you know, put the bat on the ball. And you think about that, like being hit seven or eight times at this point in the season and having to do it year after year. Like, it's not like this is a new thing for Starling Marte. He gets plunked. You know, he's a league leader in that category just about every year. That's tough. It wears on you. It's getting hit with a 90 mile an hour fastball is probably one of the most horrible things that can happen to you in professional sports. And I know as fans, it's like easy to brush it off because you don't have to be hit by a 90 mile an hour fastball. But like when you get hit like that, like that bruise is going to be there for a while. It's going to be sore for a couple weeks. Like it's not going away anytime soon. So it's tough. I, you know, it, I think if Pittsburgh's pitchers were being hit back, that it would be a little bit different story. I don't think they would enjoy that quite as much, but as long as their philosophy is pitching inside, I think that's going to be something that you're just going to have to live with if you're in the Pittsburgh Pirates lineup. So after that, the uh, Red Series, the Pirates had a chance to go face the Chicago Cubs, which if you've been watching any of the Cubs-Pirates games this season did not thrill me in the least. So the Pirates went uh, down two of the first three games to the Cubs, um, and they were not close games. Did you see any of that series over the weekend? I caught parts of it. Yes, it was not <laughs> not good. I don't I don't know what I can equate it. I guess the best thing I could equate it to would be like being a Browns fan and knowing oh, that you're man. just going into the game and you're like, ah, oh, we're just gonna get whacked today. Like that's kind of Browns fan tailgate best part of the whole day yeah right that's kind of how i felt going into these cubs games i did not i did not feel good at all like the arietta start i think areas area started saturday yeah the arietta start saturday like i just woke up that morning and just didn't have a good feeling in my stomach from the moment i woke up just like ah uh, I, I i'm gonna have to watch this game and i'm gonna hate every minute of it it's gonna be <laughs> terrible so yeah, and continuing with the beanball wars with the Pirates, Jake Arrieta plunked uh, Jung Ho Gong in the fourth inning, which, man, that got the bench riled up. Just everybody's getting hit. And this kind of goes back to last year's playoff game where, shockingly, we hit Jake Arrieta. So imagine that he's not very pleased with us still at this point. As we've seen in the last few days, baseball players tend to hold grudges for a long period of time, amazingly. So... There was a lot of hoopla about that. Everybody was upset trying to figure out like, oh, did he do it on purpose? Is this retaliation? What's going on? After the game, I just kind of liked how Clint Hurdle stated this. Clint Hurdle's like a man's man. Do you notice that about him? Like, oh, yeah. Clint Hurdle seems like a guy who, if he didn't make it in baseball, would have been like a lumberjack or like a like a fisherman in Alaska or something. And <laughs> so after the game, they're asking Hurdle like, well, do you think Arietta hit Gong on purpose? Hurdle's quote was, I'm not good judging intent. You, implying the media, can judge intent. <laughs> like, just what a man's response to that. Like, yeah, whatever. You guys figure that nonsense out. <laughs> I'm here to manage this club. So, going into Sunday's contest, the Cubs were 5-0 and against us this season. Fortunately, we took one out of the three games this weekend. So now we are 1-5 against the Cubs this season. Not good. No. Not That's good. not good at all. Fortunately, Garrett Cole actually on Sunday pitched like the ace that Pittsburgh needed. I don't know if you saw any highlights from that game, but, uh, you know, it was the 0-0 game for a very long time. And it was actually a no-hitter on the Cubs end for a while <laughs> before. I don't even know who broke up the no-hitter. Uh, I want to say Gong in the sixth inning, maybe, but I could be wrong about that. But at any rate, 
And like Garrett Cole just kept putting up the zeros, putting up the zeros. And we get all the way to the ninth inning, and I think we're holding on to a two to nothing lead in the ninth inning, I believe. And Garrett Cole's only at 95 pitches, and I'm thinking like, all right, this is where we get to see Garrett Cole turn into the ace that we need. And at 95 pitches, Hurdle decided to uh, pull Garrett Cole and bring in Mark Melanson. Melanson gave up a run, and it seemed a little bit dicey. And I'm I'm going to be honest, I'd started to sweat a little bit. I was uncomfortable on my couch watching this, thinking to myself, like, this is how we lose. We lose by bringing in Melanson. <laughs> and fortunately, Melanson shut it down after he surrendered that one run and uh, preserved the lead. But it, man, I just, playing the Cubs, it, it's not a good feeling. I don't like it. I don't like that we have to do it. I don't like that we have to chase the Cubs in this division now. They're, I feel like they're just like the new Cardinals. I think it's just 20 years of losing that has manifested itself into an ulcer in my stomach that uh, I just, I, yeah, I can't, I can't get rid of it. I'm glad we're playing the Braves right now because I, we needed that. Just let's just go out and just railroad a team after that really stressful Cubs series. What was your take on Garrett Cole's comments about the Cubs after the game? Uh, which, uh, what specifically? What do you say? Uh, something along the lines where he does not think the Cubs are the best team right now in baseball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the Cubs needed more stuff to put on their locker room wall. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't like it's pretty hard to argue that the Cubs aren't the best team in baseball. They are off to an historic start. It's uh, yeah, they're they're really good. I like Eric Cole. I like that he's fiery. I like that he goes to Penn's games and gets drunk and like slams on the glass like a maniac. <laughs> I, saw that. I saw that too. But like, there's, there's a point where like, I understand that you're an athlete and you just need to, you know, blow off some steam or get yourself pumped up. But let's try and do that without giving the Cubs some bulletin board material. If we could, <laughs> I, I would appreciate that. I don't like I, that ulcer is going to keep getting larger in my stomach. If Garrett Cole keeps you, you now you're gonna have to go out there and throw a shutout every time against the Cubs. Garrett, is that what you want? Like, let's let's not put that pressure on ourselves, okay? So uh, that's kind of how I feel about that. Don't don't poke the bear. Just don't poke the bear. And also, I don't know if I've stated it on the podcast. I know I've been stating it a lot lately, but I loved Joe Madden a lot more when he was not in my division. Like, go back to the American League East where I can like your shenanigans of wearing pajamas on plane flights and things like that. Don't. But when it's in my division and you're just crushing everybody, including my team, I don't, I don't find it endearing anymore. I just now I find it annoying and pretentious. It's too close to home now for you. It is. I don't. <laughs> and I have this discussion with my friends all the time. If Joe Madden were the Pirates manager, I think it was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> but it's just because he's the Cubs manager that I, I think I don't like it. Um, yeah. So I guess the last thing that I want to talk about before we move on to uh, talking about the Indians. The Pirates pitching, which we talked about last week, really, really needs some improving. And I know that we're going to have to wait until the Super 2 deadline because that's just the way that baseball works. But, man, whenever we can bring up Jamison Talion and Tyler Glasnow and start to give these guys a shot to, to stick in the rotation, I think it's going to be for the better of the team. I I don't know how good the Cubs are going to remain all season, and I don't know if they're going to, you know, win 100 games or 110 games or maybe stay on this ridiculous pace and win 125 games. But 
The thing I do know is if we miss the playoffs again by like one or two games and we don't call up Talion and Glasnow until after the Super 2 deadline passes, I'm going I'm to be a little upset. You know, like last season, you maybe you can rationalize it. You know, like there's a lot of stuff that you want Glasnow to work on and I get that. And there's a lot of nuance to the game that he probably needed to get in AAA. But at this point, the way that these two guys are just flat out dominating down there, and the way that your starting rotation hasn't been able to get you through like five, six innings consistently. It, like if you're going to decide to be a team that that's going to win, like we saw last season, one or two wins could have made a difference in how the end of that season went. And we missed on one or two games because of injury to Glasnow or, or of injury to Talion or, you know, Glasnow not being ready. And that's okay. I can I can understand that. But if you look at their performances in AAA, I don't think there's any question that they could help out at, at our major league starting rotation. Oh, absolutely. Especially now we're May 17th. I mean, we're approaching almost one third of season being complete. Yeah, I mean, you you can look at Glasnow and he's striking out 13 batters per nine. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all right. That'll. That'll get that'll get some people to that'll turn some heads. <laughs> Talion's walked uh, the last time I'd looked, so I think that was before his last start. He'd walked three people all season. I mean, I'm sure he's probably walked one or two in the the starter two cents, but he's not walking anyone. You know, his his I've watched. I think I've watched two of his starts this year. You know, his control looks good. His command is sharp with his pitches in the strike zone. He like at some point you. you you know, you got to make a push like you're not bringing in those, you know, you're not bringing in those free agents to supplement your team at the beginning of the year. You you don't make splashy trades in season like you need to be able to fill some of these spots internally. And I like I just I hope that the, that it doesn't end up coming back to, to bite us at the end of the season. But I, I think there'll definitely be improvements in the Pirates rotation. I don't know how I don't know how you feel about those two in the rotation. Oh, I agree with everything you said. Absolutely. So, and I get the whole small market thing and I get that you need the extra years of control, but man, at some point, like you would think we, we, we have this world series window going on with McCutcheon and this great roster that we've put together. Like we got to make well, a push somewhere. That's just it too. Like you're on a, what was it three straight years now making the playoffs? Yep. So you have that going for you. You have a core group of guys playing very, very well now. I, you don't want to see this streak interrupted by one game. Funny means. Right. So. And playoff baseball brings in more revenue. That is very true. Yes, that is very true. It'd be nice to have more than just a one game playoff in Pittsburgh, too. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, that's it for the uh, Buckos end of the show today. You ready to talk tribe? Uh, sure. All right, Red, what's going on in Tribe Town? Well, uh, different kind of news came across the wire today involving, uh, I guess, yeah, involving Michael Brantley. Uh, met with doctor. He does not have any structural damage to his right shoulder. That's a relief. Yes, they're still referring to it as a right shoulder impingement. He received an anti-inflammatory injection, and there is no timetable for his return. I suspect, though, after hearing comments from Tito this weekend, that the organization and he himself probably feel that they, I mean, perhaps allowed 
Bradley to come back a little too soon. So I would expect them to make sure that they feel as confident as possible that he will be recovered fully from this injury before they bring him back to the club. He's too important a piece not to come back at full health next time. Right. Uh, the Tribe optioned Cody Anderson back to Columbus. He had another dreadful outing over the weekend. He is now allowed, this is Max Scherzer-like in this regard, 10 total home runs and 32 and two-thirds innings of work this season. I'm I'm going to go ahead and be honest. I think that's the only thing that Max Scherzer and Cody Anderson have in common. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Past that, statistically, there's not a whole lot of similarities. Yeah. So he was optioned, and they brought back Lonnie Chisenhall from the bereavement list. He was activated, and he's in the lineup today. We're speaking live today. The game is ongoing tonight, but the Indians' offense has, uh, I guess, awakened from their slumber. They put 15 runs yesterday, and so far, top of the eighth, have 13 more today against the Reds. So this is quite good news for the Indians' offense. Uh, Dan and Buffalo, we're very, very happy to know that the club has announced that Mike Clevenger will make his Major League debut Tomorrow night in Cincinnati against these same Reds. Dan in Buffalo is, as we are recording, sending me text messages about our our current wager, uh, our current Mike Clevenger, Tyler Glasnow wager. He is very, very (laughs) excited about Mike Clevenger. Yes, very excited. Have you seen yet? His hair is sweet. He has awesome hair. He does have, yeah, he does have a beautiful lock of hair on that head. He sure does. So the rotation now shapes up to be that Clevenger will start tomorrow night, followed by Josh Tomlin. Then the Tribe goes to Boston for three-game set, and they'll have Kluber, Bauer, and Salazar over the weekend, which that should be some money, good matchups there. Uh, Anderson could conceivably come back and pitch on Monday, doubleheader against the White Sox in Chicago, as part of the 26-man rule that MLB allows. That's the loophole from his uh, minimum 10-game stay and AAA have to be an option. So we'll see what happens. They have not committed to him pitching yet on Monday. So not sure if they go to someone else instead. We'll try to fine-tune some things, perhaps some bullpen sessions over the weekend. Who knows yet? So since uh, we're talking about the Indians rotation, can I just interject? I'm, I'm kind of curious. How do you, as an Indians fan, feel about Trevor Bauer in your rotation? Because... Well, I want to talk about him specifically here in a moment. So hold your thought there, buddy. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I'm going to file this one away because I got, I got a good question about Bauer. All right. Good. Uh, speaking of rotation, not in it actively, but Carlos Carrasco threw a 40-pitch bullpen session yesterday, and Mickey Callaway said he was fantastic. Awesome. He probably could go now. He thinks from the mound, that is. But they have yet to test him out on uh, PFPs or affiliate practice. He is supposed to throw a two-inning game simulation on Thursday. In the meantime, he will continue doing his strength and conditioning exercises as well as his agility drills. So I would suspect he's nearing closer to return, but I probably wouldn't expect to see him maybe until the first part of June is my guess. I think I read that somewhere. Was it a tweet maybe? That I'd read that they were thinking like Carrasco would be late May, early June. That's my guess, yeah. So my question for you is this. Would you or would you not want a pitcher in your rotation who has 
thrown 23 in the third innings pitched, only allowed 16 hits, nine earned runs, nine walks, struck out 23, a 3.47 ERA, a 1.071 whip, and a two and a half K to walk ratio. Those all sound like fantastic numbers to me. Those are the four game starting pitching stats of Trevor Bauer. Ooh, there he is. There he is for you. There he is. So you didn't include his, uh, cause I was, I was, I did not include his release. Stats. You didn't include his release stats. Yeah. Cause like I'm sitting there listening to those numbers and I'm like, well, maybe that could be Bauer. Maybe that could be Bauer. And then you got to the one zero one whip and I'm like, definitely not Bauer. But yes. like in in his starts, he's been great. Uh, how many starts? Four starts, you said? Four starts. His first start was a little shaky. Was his first start against Detroit? Yeah, I won't believe it was. I'm bringing up right now. Or did he start? No, Philadelphia. That was who his first start was against Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah, against the Phillies. Yeah, that was the one he only made it a couple innings. And then his next start was against Detroit. Yeah. yeah. He's uh he's looked good as a starter. I tell you what, his breaking ball especially has been really crisp, like a sharp curveball. Yes. Um, and his command's been decent. Like it doesn't you know, like I don't get to watch Trevor Bauer consistently. So I saw his Detroit start. That's why that one was stuck in my head. And I saw his last start against Minnesota, uh, Minnesota which mm-hmm. I think they lost that game, didn't they? But yes. Bauer didn't pitch badly. Like he pitched like six or seven innings. Yeah, he's six and two thirds. I mean, in the four games he started, you know, he's thrown that 23 and a third innings pitched. He has only received, much like Corey Kluber, nine runs of support, I think, whatever I saw was. So not much. But he has done a nice job, though, of limiting the walks. Yeah, which, you know, that's what's huge for Trevor Bauer is you just keep the damage off base. Like, don't don't put guys on. I mean, if you ignore the the first start in Philadelphia and just focus on the month of May by itself, you now have 19 and 30 innings pitched, only allowing 11 hits, only having seven walks, and striking out 19. That wow, Trevor Bauer. So how do you how do you feel about Trevor Bauer now? Like, I hope that this, I hope this month's version of Bauer is what the tribe has moving forward. Because if he can do this over the course of a full season, Cody Anderson, you can spend a lot of time in AAA, iron out your kinks, and then get Carrasco back. This will be a dominant rotation. Let me uh, let me let me phrase this question to you differently. In a broader sense so in a whole world sense like when you're thinking about from this point in the season until the end of the season how do you feel about trevor bauer so when i think of jeff Locke, jeff Locke's pitching really well right now but when i think of jeff Locke in like a whole world sense like throughout the course of this season i know the wheels are going to fall off jeff Locke at some <laughs> point i do not i do not feel good about Jeff Locke and our rotation for the entire season. We're going through a good stretch right now, but I know it's going to get bumpy at some point this year. So when you think about Trevor Bauer in that broader term, in that broader sense of how, how this season plays out, how do you feel about Trevor Bauer in that sense? 
I am the cautiously optimistic. Are you, are you nervous? I am nervous, but at the same time, I, you know, the main difference I would argue here, that Bauer has the pedigree of being a top one, two, three, may not one, but a two, three, four guy in rotation. The concern obviously is, I mean, he could just implode so fast and so quickly, or he can have nice, like against Houston, he went seven strong, allowed three hits, no runs. So if there's any hope of more consistent success in pounding the strike zone and limiting the walks, I can only be optimistic and hopeful. And that's the best. He's, that's, a, he's you know, a workhorse. He's a workhorse. That, no injury history. Throws a lot of pitches, a lot of innings. I think that's the best way to go through life, Bob. Just optimistic. Just cautious optimism, blind optimism. Just be, you know, be an optimistic guy. I think as a Cleveland sports fan in general, you have to be blindly <laughs> and hopelessly optimistic. You have to be, or else <laughs> there would be no reason to watch any athletic event. That's, no. a, that's a very valid point. Yes. That's a, <laughs> if you are a Cleveland sports fan, you need some kind of optimism because there's not enough beer at Lake Erie Brewing to uh, get you through a season <laughs> without it. <laughs> you know, I don't know if this is for sure. I can speculate, but I kind of wonder, Carrasco is nearing a return here soon. It was it had to be for an injury or bad performance that Bauer got back in rotation in the first place. And for him, it was the injury to Carrasco that got him in our chance. So I wonder, does this moment motivate him even more to compete and do well to remain in rotation. Now you have Clevenger coming up. Does Clevenger provide more competition for Bauer to even do better? I look at it as a very good thing. It's an interesting point. That's a really interesting point. Well, something to keep our eyes on, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Anything else we want to touch on with the tribe? Uh, no, I hope they keep scoring runs like this, though. That'd be awesome. <laughs> runs in bunches. Runs in bunches. Let's put up a bunch of crooked numbers and get this party started. Yeah, this is like a uh, this is like a blowout festival tonight. It's like the mid uh, the late 1990s Indians teams here. <laughs> yes. Someone go check those bats. Is Albert Bell down there? <laughs> All right. So let's uh, finish up with a quick Seawolves shout out. Um. The Erie Seawolves right now are currently in the middle of a home series against Harrisburg, in which, as we discussed, I believe, last week, Lucas Giolito is not pitching, uh, sadly. Because that would have been a game that I definitely would have been up there to go see. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so, you know, a little disappointed that uh, that he wasn't uh, pitching on his trip here. But uh, we'll get another crack to see him. Well, maybe if he's not promoted uh, the next time Harrisburg comes through. So they'll finish a home series with Harrisburg. Uh, Thursday's off for a travel day. And then the Seawolves will be going to Richmond over the weekend, going to Reading to play the Fightin' Phils uh, Monday through Thursday, and then returning home to square off against Richmond uh, Friday through Monday, and then start a, another home series against Binghamton. And that'll take us into uh, next month. So... Uh, homestands next week. If you're interested in going to check out the Seawolves, you should make sure you get to the stadium. It's a howl of a good time. <laughs> uh -huh. You like what I did there? Yes. So uh, as far as on the field goes, the Seawolves are 16 and 21. So um, hitting some hard luck these days. But uh, in the Eastern League, Western Division, 
our uh, respective clubs, minor league teams are on top, actually. So we have the Akron Rubber Ducks at 28 and 10 and the Altoona Curve at 20 and 17. Seven and a half games behind those Rubber Ducks. That team, we talked about it before the season when they announced those rosters. That Rubber Ducks team is something special to watch. Clint Fraser right now is smoking hot. He is just mashing baseballs. It's, and I know this is a Seawolf shout out, but I feel like it's kind of important to pay attention to, you know, the teams that are leading your division. So that's how we're going to kind of work this in here. Uh, when the Akron rubber ducks, if you get a chance to see Akron, you need to go see the rubber ducks, their lineup. So it's featuring Clint Fraser. So Cleveland's best prep prospect. Uh, who is destroying baseballs, destroying baseballs. Bradley Zimmer, too. Bradley Zimmer's in the outfield. So you, oh my God, you've got two, like two guys that you could legitimately see in the major leagues. You know, Zimmer could be up there as early as this year. Some people have speculated and, you know, you could see Frazier and Zimmer in the outfield, maybe even as early as next year. Um, they have uh, uh, Levon Washington, who's there. Actually, he's on the seven day DL, so I don't think he's active right now, but um, he was a really fun player to watch. Eric Haas uh, and Alex Monslave are both there. Um, so it's a it's a really, really fun roster to watch. If you get a chance, definitely go see the Akron Rubber Ducks. Um, the price of admission for Frazier and Zimmer is, is definitely worth it just by itself. Okay, so uh, yeah, that's it for our Seawolves shout-out. Anything else we want to talk about the Seawolves? Dean Green's being a monster. He's He's ridiculous. He is a monster. He's a big guy. He is he is a big boy. If you go see Dean Green, if go sit on the field, uh, you know, try and get a good seat on the field, um, and watch Dean Green in the uh, batter circle before he <laughs> before he goes to take his at bats. His legs are they're like tree trunks. It's almost comical how big Dean Green is, and actually the stats that he's putting up this year, he's already won Eastern League Player of the Week, um, but. The stats that he's putting up this year kind of remind me of Stephen Moya's stats when when Moya was coming through. Mm. Um, he got recalled by the Tigers, actually. Yeah, yeah, Moya got the uh, he got the call. He was in left field the other night. He got pulled late in the game. Um, but yeah, he started a game already. Um, I didn't look at the lineups tonight to see what was going on, but um, yeah, Dean Green this year he's hitting two ninety eight. Uh, 362 on base, 546 slugging percentage for Dean Green. Nine home runs. To take a stab. How many RBIs do you think Dean Green has? Uh, 25. 40. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's just drive, driving in runners. So uh, Dean Green having a, having a good year for the Seawolves. He's obviously repeating double A. Um for the, I don't know, second or third time he's going through double-A. He's, he's a little old for this level, but um, it's definitely showing in his stats because he's just killing, killing Eastern League pitching right now. Um, oh, another note, I guess, for the Erie Seawolves, too, that we can bring up before we wrap up. Jacoby Jones, uh, the former Pirates infield prospect who was suspended for, uh, I don't know what they call it. He had a positive drug test. Substance of abuse. Substance abuse, yes. A recreational drug. That rhymes with marijuana. <laughs> I don't know that that was ever released, but I'm pretty sure that we can put those uh, pieces together. Uh, Jacoby Jones, to his credit, he was very contrite uh, in his news clips. Uh, I think it was, I want to say Tom Reisenweiber from the 
the Erie Times interviewed him. I think that's where I saw it. And in whichever interview I saw from him, though, he had said, like, I realized that I put my career in jeopardy and that's not a mistake I ever intend to make again. So good on you, Jacoby Jones. I hope you do well. He's a really, really fun player to watch. He's super athletic. Um, and if he sticks in in Erie, you know, f- throughout the course of the season, I could see him being the, the most fun player to watch um, for the Seawolves this year. So I think that's going to wrap us up now. Okay. We're all done. Yeah. I think we've, we've done our due diligence for the day. Everybody has a podcast to listen to this week. Um, so if you are listening to us on iTunes, uh, we'd like to ask for a rate and review. Our listeners have been amazing. So huge thanks to everybody who's uh, tuning in and giving us those rates and reviews. We're recording regularly now that the season is underway. So keep your ear to the ground for the next episode. In the meantime, if you want to check us out on the web, you can do so at www.tsmbaseball.com. You can email us, tristatebb at tsmbaseball.com. You can follow us on the Twitter at tristatebb. And you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash tsmbaseball. So for Bob Finkbeiner, this is Andy Burdick, and we look forward to talking to you soon.